who were here with us last week know that we wrapped up our last series. It was called Upside Down, God's Perspective on Money, right? We ended by being challenged by God to be great givers. And since last Sunday, we have made a significant shift in the church calendar. Last Wednesday, I hope you realize, was Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of of Lent, the season of Lent, 40 days. You don't count Sundays in that count because Sundays are celebration days, but for the other days you count, and it's 40 days where, where we set our hearts and our minds on Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem, towards that cross. And we end the 40 days with a great celebration on Easter with a tomb being empty. Okay, it's... it's for me, it seemed as I settled down Monday, kind of a jarring transition. We're going from giving to Lent. And as I thought about it, I think there's a better connection than maybe I realized, right? So last Sunday, we were talking about tithing a little bit, right? About giving that first 10% back to God and saying, God, I'm giving you this first 10% for you to do your kingdom work with. Do it in me, through me, however you want to do it. Here's the first. Well, in the season of Lent... 40 days is roughly about a tenth of the year. So we're really tithing our time, tithing our days, saying, God, here's, here's 40 days, 10% of this year, where I am going to, in a special way, focus on you. Focus on what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Focus on what you are asking me to do. You know, Jesus did exactly that. Right? When Jesus started his ministry... Uh, age 30, right? We, we signify the start of his ministry with his baptism in the Jordan River. And if you remember the story, he was baptized in the river. And it says he immediately went off into the wilderness for 40 days. And for 40 days, he spent that time in the wilderness really asking himself the question, being challenged by Satan to answer the question too of, of what does it mean for me to be Jesus? What does it mean for me to be the Son of God? What does it mean for me to be faithful to my Father? Who am I as he began his ministry? And now you and I are invited to follow in his footsteps, to take these 40 days, asking ourselves the question, what does it mean to be me? Who am I as God's son, as God's daughter? What does that mean for me, for how I'm supposed to live, for the choices I make? And the answer to that profound question of who am I is, is deeply intertwined with who Jesus is and what he has already done, right? Who God designs and desires you and I to be is profoundly linked to the cross and to the empty tomb that we're heading towards in this Lent journey, right? And so we're going to base our journey, our 40 days together in Lent on Isaiah's prophecy about who Jesus was, about who Jesus was going to be and, and what he did and how that shapes us. Isaiah is going to help us answer the question of what it means to be us because Isaiah points to the cross so clearly. He points to what Jesus did. But Take out your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, we find the phrase that we're going to be utilizing throughout Lent. The phrase is, by his wounds we are, and for this morning, we're going to finish the way Isaiah did. By his wounds we are healed. So Isaiah 53, page 716 
in the Bibles in front of you. 716. It's really an amazing Old Testament chapter. No other chapter in the Old Testament is cited and quoted more in the New Testament than Isaiah 53. There's over 40, there's at least, I should say, at least 41 citations or quotes from Isaiah 53 that then show up in the New Testament. And it's so powerfully linked to the New Testament story here because here, Isaiah, the prophet, 700 years before Jesus is even born, gives us a picture of Jesus' life. Gives us a picture of Jesus' work. I mean, think about that. 700 years. What could you guess about life 700 years from now? What, what could you predict? What could you show? I, I would have no idea. God gave Isaiah this picture of Jesus for us. And so the people of Israel, before they even go into captivity, are given this picture of their Messiah that they're waiting for, the one who would come to save them and heal them. And he starts, Isaiah starts this chapter by introducing us to a new kind of king, a, a different kind of Messiah than what they were expecting. So start with the first three verses, and then we'll keep reading together after that a little bit later. Isaiah 53, 1 through 3. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Okay, pause there for just a moment. Isaiah gives the people of Israel a very unexpected picture of the coming Messiah. Something very different from what they were hoping for and longing for, right? They, they were looking for a, a powerful king to come and save them. They were looking for a mighty warrior leader to set them free. They were looking for somebody to come from the line of David, a hero to come, a champion to come, just like David had been their hero. That's who's going to come, to come and set us free. And that isn't at all the picture that Isaiah gives them here. He shows Jesus, the coming Messiah, to be the suffering servant. Two words that they never would have attached to the Messiah. Suffering? No. Servant? No. But in captivity, the royal line of David dries up and disappears and the nation of Israel fails. And Isaiah says that a shoot is going to come up from that line, from that desert floor, from that, from that dry place, from the stump of Jesse. A shoot will come. The Messiah will be born. And verse 2 tells us that, that this shoot, this royalty, is not going to look like royalty to them. In fact, the, the word here, beauty, uh, there is no beauty. It's the same word to describe King David back in 1 Samuel 16. It said, you know, David was a fine-looking young man, right? The kind of guy that you'd want to be your king and your ruler. And says, this Jesus is going to look nothing like that. He's not going to look like royalty to you. And then verse 3 tells us that he's not going to see like royalty either. 
It says he was despised and rejected by those he came to save. Why? Because he doesn't see the world the way that they do. He doesn't doesn't see what's important to be the same things that the world sees as important. He 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 doesn't set his eyes on wealth. He doesn't set his eyes on power and prestige. He doesn't set his eyes on building his own political reputation. He doesn't set his eyes on, on setting the nation of Israel free. That's not what he's concerned about. He doesn't see this world. He doesn't see his purpose the way that they see his purpose to be. He came as a servant, and he suffered as a result. And it's his suffering, Isaiah tells us. It's in his suffering that we connect to him. You see, you and I get included in this prophecy. Verses 4 through 6 is about us. They're the only verses throughout this chapter where Isaiah uses the first-person pronouns of we and us and our. Okay, you and I get to be a part here of this story. Listen to us in verses 4 through 6. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Not a very pretty picture of you or of me. He makes it very, very clear in these verses that you and I are broken people. He starts right away in verse 4 by by pointing to our infirmities, our infirmities, our, our diseases, our brokenness. He's not talking about physical disease. He's not talking about our our physical brokenness, even though we all experience that. He's talking about our spiritual brokenness, our spiritual disease. And those of you who who are at the evening service with us know we're working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism. And just a few weeks ago, we we spent, what, three weeks, I think, talking about our brokenness. And we talked about that poison of sin that is running through all of our veins. You have poison running through you. Every single one of us here is infected by that poison of sin. And every single part of us is affected by that poison. Right? We like to think we've got our lives spiritually put together. We, we look good on the outside. But the truth is, you and I spiritually are horribly disfigured by the sin in our lives. And the, the, the guilt that we have is deforming us and rotting us from the inside out. We, we forget that, don't we? We so often forget how broken we are. We think we're pretty good. And pretty good is, is good enough, right? God must be pleased with what I do and who I am. I'm doing all right. We deceive ourselves into thinking, maybe, okay, maybe I need a little bit of Jesus. Okay, I, I can do pretty good on my own. I can look to be a pretty good person. I can't do it all, so Jesus, how about if you finish the job for me, right? We think our disease, our sin disease just takes a little aspirin. Jesus will be the aspirin to bring me a little bit of relief. That's all I need. 
That's just not true. It's not true about me. It's not true about you. It's not true about any of us. Right? Isaiah identifies how, how deep and complete our brokenness is. Right? He starts in verse 5 by, by talking about our transgressions. Okay, a, a transgression is a direct act of rebellion. That's what a transgression is, right? It happens when a line is purposely crossed. And you and I do that all the time, right? So, so God has drawn a line right here. In his word, he's shown us the, 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 the boundaries of holiness, the boundaries of goodness. He said, here's the holiness line. Anything over that line is sin, so how about, let's stay back behind. Don't cross that line. You know what you and I do? We toe up to that line, we look around every day, and we step across. Any of you parents know about this, if you have more than one kid, right? Thinking back to when, I, when my family take long road trips, right? My brother and I are in the back seat, hours on end. It didn't take long for both of us to be getting in each other's business, right? And so it would get worse and worse until finally mom turns around and says, look, here's the line. <laughs> you know, here's the seam in the seat. Neither of you cross that line. Don't touch each other anymore. Kind of like the DMZ in the back seat, right? And what happens as soon as mom turns around? Somebody reaches across and touches just because it's there. Just because I can I'm going to cross that line. We do that with God all the time. God has said, I've shown you how to live. I've shown you what holiness looks like. I've shown you where sin and brokenness will tear you apart. Here's the line. Let's, let's stay back. Huh. I'm going to make my own choice, God. We tell God to shove off from our lives every time we step across that line. And we do it every day. It's a choice that we make. Our sin our brokenness is something we are choosing every time we step across that line, every time we choose our way instead of God's way. And brokenness is our choice. We own it. It's mine. The brokenness is also forced upon us, right? We're all born with it. Isaiah then talks about our iniquities as well. And here he's pointing to our sinful state. Right? We are sinners. You and I are sinners by definition. We have a sinful nature inside of us, passed down from generation to generation. From the moment of conception, we are sinners. That sin nature is flowing through our veins. You can't escape it. Our brokenness is inherited. And so there's no escaping the brokenness of our sin. There are no exceptions. We are all Deeply broken people. And the news that Isaiah gives us is we can all also be healed people. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to heal us. He came to bring the, to bring the antidote to our disease. He came to bring the cure for what is killing us. You and I can be made whole again. We can be forgiven. We can be set free from the punishment and the guilt that we have chosen, that we deserve, that we've rightfully earned. We can, through Jesus, receive grace instead of judgment. But we need to understand where this healing comes from. And this healing comes from the cross. And we need to pause here for a moment. 
We need to pause here for a moment at the very beginning of our Lent journey. As we journey towards the cross and we journey towards the empty tomb. And we need to get an honest picture of what's going on here. Of what happened here. Right? Because we, we jump so often to the tomb. And we just want to say, yeah, let's celebrate the resurrection. And we should, absolutely. But there's a cross in between there. There's a cross that we have to go through. And, you know, we have made our crosses into, into beautiful, polished objects of celebration, like that one up there. It looks really nice. We sing about the cross. We did this morning. We sang a great song about, about the cross. Some of us wear shiny crosses of gold or silver on our necklaces, right? We celebrate the cross, and rightfully so, we should. The empty cross is a picture of the victory that we have in Jesus who didn't stay on that cross but walked out of that tomb alive. But before we rush past the cross into the empty tomb, we need to stay here for a moment and, and understand and accept and begin to feel what this cross really was. You see, this cross that we made to look so pretty, it's an instrument of torture. Okay, you might as well hang a little electric chair on your necklace and wear it around, right? This is an instrument of torture. It's designed specifically to inflict the most amount of pain over the longest period of time possible. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus experienced on this cross. Why? To bring healing to our souls. It's, what Jesus went through is anything but beautiful. It was horrible and it was ugly. You see, and that's what, what our disease demands. It demands desperate action. Our disease, your brokenness, my brokenness, requires serious surgery. Right? This poisonous sin that's running through us needs to be killed off. And the, the tumor of guilt that just keeps growing in us, disfiguring us, needs to be cut out. It needs to be cut away. And Isaiah tells us that, that Jesus came and he took up our infirmities. In other words, he, he took our sin, he took our guilt, he took our disease, and, and he gathered all of that up from everybody and, and, and he carried it to the cross with him. And he carried it up onto that cross with him. And he took our punishment there. Isaiah tells us that he was stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now listen to those verbs. None of them is very pretty. He was stricken. He was pierced. He was crushed. They give us a picture of the staggering suffering, of the unbelievable misery, of the hideous horror, both of body and soul that he went through. His body was ripped apart and his soul was torn away from God, his father. You know, years ago, I don't know if some of you might have gone too, but we rented out of the movie theater to see The Passion of the Christ together when it was out in the theaters. And I'll admit it that I couldn't even watch this part. When it got to be so horrible on the whippings and the beatings and the cross, I had, I had to look away. I had to cover my eyes. That's what Jesus endured for me so that I might be healed for you so that you might be healed. 
It's what it takes. It's what it took for us to be able to be forgiven. It took Jesus being crushed, body and soul. And look at, look at verses 7 through 9. Keep reading with me. It says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was oppressed. And by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Pause there. It was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. Why? For you, for me. Why? So that we might be healed, so that we might be forgiven. Why would God crush his only son? Because he loves us. So that we might live with him. God made a guilt offering. He made a guilt offering to bring healing to us. And the, the offering on the altar was Jesus. He's the sacrifice. Right? What did Isaiah write? He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus turns everything upside down again. Right? Under the law of Moses, it was the sheep who died for the shepherd. The sheep took the place, so the shepherd didn't have to die. Under the law of grace now, the shepherd dies for us, the sheep. He takes our place on the altar. He takes our place on the cross. And by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. It is through the cross that we finally find out who we truly are, who we're truly meant to be. It's through the cross that Isaiah says Jesus lived out what it meant for him to be Jesus, the Son of God. Listen to the victory that belongs to Jesus. Verse 10 through the end. It says, It was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Don't miss verse 11 there. 
That's where it hinges, right? After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Through the cross, he will be satisfied, knowing his wounds have healed many, knowing his wounds have healed you. Through the cross, Jesus lived out who God desired and designed him to be, the healer of his people. So over these next 40 days, about a tenth of the year, each of us is invited to search out and discover who it is that God designed and de desires us to be. Ask what it means to truly be you, the you that God meant you to be, the you that Jesus died to set you free to be. It's why we start... That's so why we start this journey, this Lent journey, here at the table every year. Because at this table, at the communion supper, we look at Jesus and we're forced to honestly answer that profound question about ourselves. Who am I? Who am I now? And maybe if I'm going to be who God asked me to be, something needs to change in my life, in my heart, in my soul. Before we eat and drink, we need to ask ourselves the question, is Jesus my king? Is he my Messiah? Am I willing to accept and imitate a suffering servant instead of a heroic champion? And have I been healed by his wounds? God's grace is freely given, but it certainly wasn't cheap. Have I accepted it? So come to this table at the start of your Lent journey to remember who Jesus is and to discover who you are in him. Do you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we think we know who we are, and yet we've listened to so many voices. We've listened to other people tell us who, who they think we should be, and we try to live that out. We've listened to the culture around us tell us who they think we should be and we've tried to live that out. We've listened to our parents and our grandparents. We've listened to our bosses. We've listened to our professors. All the expectations of this world to be who they expect us to be and we tried to live those out. We've even listened to our own desires, our own dreams, and we tried to live them out. Father, that might not be who you have designed us to be, who you've healed us to be. In this time, Father, help us to ask the serious question of who we are in you and what that means for my heart, for my soul, for my hands, for my mouth. Jesus, you died to heal us to take the brokenness of our sin away, to take the, the tumor of our guilt out of us, to set us free to be who God asked us to be. Don't let us stop now. Transform us, change us by your power and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I'd like to invite the elders who are going to serve this morning and the worship team to come on forward, if you would. <laughs> 